We're starting a new series, actually, today and this month. We're going to be talking about why the empty tomb means victory for God's people and why that victory means that we should be a people committed to hope. And what does that mean, anyway? What does it mean to be a people committed to hope? What is hope? So often when we talk about hope, I think we mean something different than the Bible means when it talks about hope. When the biblical authors talked about hope, they were talking about not wishful thinking, not kind of a pie-in-the-sky idea, but a confident expectation. Because of the empty tomb, we face every circumstance in life, not just with optimism, Because optimism says, well, maybe this isn't really so bad. Maybe this will get better tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. We face life with hope. Because hope admits that sometimes maybe our worst fear, the thing that we would least want to happen, actually happens. Our worst fears sometimes actually do come true. About 16 months ago, I stood with my arm around a man that I'd consider one of my best friends. A man that was in my wedding. A man that I respect and love more than any other human being or as much as any other human being. And I stood there with my arm around him as we buried his 19-year-old son. And I grieved not only because I loved Caleb, but because I love his dad. And because I as a father, felt what he was feeling in knowing that his worst fear had come true. As a dad, when I think about the cross, as a father, as a parent, when I think about the cross, the person that I most relate to is Mary. I mean, all of us think our kids are pretty awesome, don't we? All of us think that our kids are going to do great things and that they've got great potential and that there's no telling where they're going to go and what they're going to do. But Mary, even before she miraculously conceived the child in her womb, the child she would give birth to and that would grow to be a teacher and a leader and a man and a king, she was promised that he would be called great, that he would be called the son of the most high God that he would reign on David's throne and that his kingdom would never come to an end. And can you imagine how she felt as a mother, as she stood there on that Friday and watched her son bleed and suffer and struggle to take breath after breath until finally he gave up the spirit and died. And how she must have thought, it's over. All the hopes, all the dreams, all the what-ifs, all of the potential, all of what I thought was going to come true. Is it over? Is this it? Is this how it ends? And every single one of us, every person in this room, every person you'll ever meet, has been, is being, and will be affected by death. Parents, siblings, children, uncles and aunts, nieces and nephews, cousins and co-workers, friends, and even ourselves. We know how it is. 
And people for, for thousands of years have been making up stories to kind of help themselves feel better. How, how to deal with that grief, how to deal with that reality of death. And so they've made up stories about the afterlife and they've made up stories about what happens after a person dies in order to make themselves feel better. Ancient Mayans used to bury people with a piece of maize in their mouth so that because they believed that when a person died, they would have to navigate the dangerous underworld, the netherworld. And so they were given food to eat to nourish them on their journey. Ancient Romans believed, of course, that Wealth made somebody an important person. If somebody had a, a nice house or they had nice things, that that meant that they were important and more important than the people that didn't. And they wanted to make sure that even after they were gone, people continued to honor them and respect them so that people continued to know their status in society. And so they would become members of societies, burial societies, based on their profession or based on their kind of the people they were around and would associate with, and they would pay these fees and dues so that they would make sure that they took care of their brothers in the society that died and covered their burial expenses, built a monument in their honor, and so that when they died, their memory would be honored. And so people would come through the town and see their monument and say, that must have been a really important guy. In Greece... The Greek people believed that when they died, the, the underworld was somewhere underneath the ground, and they believed that they would continue to exist down there. Their soul would continue to be around as long as the people on the surface, the living people, continued to remember them. But if anybody, if people ever forgot about them, then they would simply cease to exist. Ancient Chinese emperors believed that they were buried with their things, even their empire or their armies, because they believed that they would have those things in the afterlife. Of course, the Egyptians, we all know, built these big pyramids, and and kings, pharaohs, believed that they would take with them their possessions after they went. They would take these things into the afterlife. But all Egyptians were buried with a book of the dead that they thought would help them to navigate the underworld, navigate the place of the dead, until finally they came to a a place with a scale where their heart would be weighed. It would be weighed against a white feather, and if their heart was lighter than the feather, then they would go to paradise. And if their heart was heavier than the feather, then they would die an eternal death. You see, but what we celebrate, when we think about the empty tomb... When we think about what Jesus did, when we think about who Jesus is, his resurrection means all of those stories are just stories. His resurrection means all of those myths are just myths. His resurrection means all of that is just superstition. And because of his resurrection, we have a true and living Hope. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because we believe, don't we, that the dead will not be judged by a Greek God or a Roman God, by a Mayan God or an Egyptian God, but will be judged by a Jewish king. And so Jesus writes to these this group of Jesus followers in Thessalonica. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, Luke writes that when Paul came to this town, that they a lot of the Jews really didn't like Paul's preaching there, and they ran him out of town pretty quick. But there were some converts, and some of those converts were Gentiles. 
were people that used to worship idols. And here's what Paul says to them. He says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When Paul showed up in town, it wasn't that they didn't have any beliefs. It wasn't that they didn't have a religion. It wasn't that they didn't believe anything about what was up there or what was down there or what life was all about or who was going to judge them. They had all kinds of stories and all kinds of traditions and all kinds of myths and all kinds of legends. But when Paul showed up into town and he demonstrated the power of God's Holy Spirit living in him and he proclaimed to them the good news about Jesus, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they believed. And they turned to God from these idols. Why? Because they realized that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Jesus, this was the true and living God. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Some of you can imagine how difficult that would be. To turn your back on all the traditions and all of the stories and all of the things that your parents handed down to you, that their parents believed, that everybody in your culture, in your society, in your town believed and held dear. That these Christians said, those things aren't true. Those things are just myths. Those things are just stories. But this Jesus, he lives. How do I know? Because this Paul who came to town, he was bent on destroying Christianity until what? Until he met the resurrected Jesus. And he came with power and preached the good news. And these Christians, these followers of a Jewish Messiah living in Thessalonica who used to bow down and worship idols and believe all the stories and all the myths and all the legends... They turn their back on all of those things and turn to the true and living God. And Paul says, this God, and, and you are waiting for his son, God's son, from heaven, whom God raised from the dead. You are waiting for his son from heaven. See, that's what life is, isn't it? It's waiting. It's waiting that, that's what Mary and the apostles had to do on Friday and Saturday until the third day. They had to wait. They had to wait. But the difference between how they waited and how we wait is the resurrection has already begun for us, hasn't it? Amen? Because we wait knowing what has already happened. We wait knowing that God raised Jesus from the dead and he will deliver us from the wrath to come. And so we wait with hope, right? We wait with hope. We wait with confident expectation because the resurrection has already begun. It begun on that first Sunday morning. And because we know that this is who Jesus is, and this is who the true and living God is, and because we know this has happened, we wait for Jesus to return. Now, look at chapter 4. Now, I imagine, as this group of Christians at Thessalonica who had left their pagan friends and neighbors, who probably left the burial societies that they had been a part of, 
and all of the idolatry that went with all of that, and they had left all the stories and all the legends and all the myths and all the superstitions behind to serve the true and living God and to wait for Jesus. And Paul said, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And they were waiting and expecting and hoping. And then people started to die. Christians started to die. What do we, what do we do? How do we mourn? How do we grieve? What do we think? How do we feel? Are they going to miss out on Jesus coming back? Are they going to miss out on the return? Are they going to miss out on the glory of God? Are they going to miss out on the eternal kingdom? What happens now? Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are, look at this word, asleep. Asleep. Now, when I used to read that, I, I thought that was just kind of a, a euphemism. You know how we, we tend to do that too, don't we? We we tend to create words or phrases that mean died because we don't want to say somebody died. And so we say it in a nice way. and We say, he passed on. Or, or maybe we say it in kind of a flippant way and said he bought the farm. You know, there's all kinds of ways we might say things like that. But that's not what Paul's doing here. When he says asleep, he, he's using language Jesus used. Do you remember? Jesus said these kinds of things. And he was laughed at for it. Jesus one time showed up at a funeral. And there were mourners all around. And he knew that this man's daughter had just died. And he showed up at the funeral and he told the mourners, she's not dead, she's just what, church? Asleep. And they laughed. They laughed. When Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was dead, you know what he told his disciples? He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let's go for I will awake him. Jesus used this idea of asleep to emphasize the temporary nature of their death, right? Because if somebody's asleep, they'll wake up. And that's why he told the mourners, she's not dead, she's asleep. That's why he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I go there to awake him. Because it's just temporary. And that's something that people found hard to believe. The disciples found it hard to believe. The mourners found it hard to believe. You and I find it hard to believe. Because here's a reality. Nothing feels as permanent as death. Does it? Nothing feels as permanent as death. I often wonder when I'm with a family or I'm part of a family, at a cemetery, how do we muster the strength to get in the car and drive away? Because nothing feels as permanent as that last goodbye. But Jesus says, she's not asleep, she's not dead, she's asleep. Our friend Lazarus has gone to sleep and I go to awake him. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep because their temporary, their situation is temporary. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not die. Though he die, yet shall he live. This situation, for all of these people in Thessalonica that you've buried and that you're worried about and that you're concerned about and that you don't know, how do we react to this? What do we do in this situation? We're not part of the burial societies anymore. 
We don't have the traditions and the stories that everybody else has. What do we do now? Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who've fallen asleep. Why? Listen to what he says. That you may not grieve as others do. It isn't that Christians don't grieve. It isn't that Paul was writing to them saying, don't be sad, don't grieve. It's not really so bad. He was saying, we don't want you to grieve as others do. Others who have no hope. It isn't that the Greeks and the Romans didn't have stories and didn't have superstitions and didn't have legends. It wasn't that they didn't believe that anything happened in the afterlife. See, that's how I used to read this passage. That that maybe when Paul says, we don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope, maybe he's just talking about people that don't have any idea of what happens in the afterlife. But Paul's saying, others have no hope. You see? You, Christians, and those that are in Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ that have fallen asleep, you have hope. And others have no hope. Their stories are just stories. Their superstitions are just superstitions. Their legends are just legends. Their myths are just myths. Just like their gods are just brick and stone and metal. They are not the true and living God. And their hope is really no hope at all. I mean, is it any different in our world today? I mean, almost everybody in the world has some sort of a thought, and and they say things like they've gone on to a better place. No matter who they were, no matter what they believed, no matter where their confidence was, they've gone on to a better place. Paul says, those of you that are in Christ Jesus, you grieve with hope, but others have no hope. Because our story is true. Look at verse 14. For since we believe... And when Paul says believe, he doesn't mean, again, this wishful thinking or this pie-in-the-sky idea. When Paul says believe, he means we are confident in this. We know this to be true. How did Paul know that Jesus had been raised from the dead? Because he met him. He met the resurrected Jesus, didn't he? He saw him on the road to Damascus as he was going there to persecute Christians. Paul met the resurrected Lord. He knew the tomb was empty. And Paul says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, our hope, our confident expectation in the resurrection is based on the resurrection that has already taken place. Amen? Our confident expectation that the Lord will bring with him those who have fallen asleep is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, because of this, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And here he says, this is how it's going to happen. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Not, this is my opinion. This is what I think. I heard somebody say this one time. Or here's a legend that might be true. 
He says, this word comes from the Lord, and we declare it to you, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. We won't get there before they do. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a good phrase, isn't it? The dead in Christ will rise. This is our hope, church, that the dead in Christ will rise. That there will be a day of resurrection. That I will be buried in a grave someday, but that I will be raised and I will be raised with an immortal, imperishable body. You say, Wes, how can you know that? How can you be so sure of that? How can you be so confident of that? Because the resurrection has already started. That's why. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15? He says that the resurrection of Jesus is like the first fruits of harvest. It's like if out there there was a whole field of wheat. And, and some of it had just already begun to be ripe. And you went out there and you, you plucked a couple grains of, of wheat. And you brought it back in. And you say, see, the resurrection is true. Or the, the harvest is true. There, there's a field of wheat out there. This is the proof of it. And Paul says, Jesus is the first fruit of that resurrection. We know that the dead in Christ will rise. Why? Because Christ has already been raised from the dead. Then he goes on to say, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now that's a good phrase, isn't it? Caught up together with them. This is our knowledge. This is our hope. This is our belief. This is our confident expectation that we will be caught up together with them. Sometimes people wonder, will we recognize each other in the resurrection? Will we know each other in the resurrection? Well, if we didn't, Paul's message to Thessalonica wouldn't make much sense, would it? He says, in the resurrection, the dead in Christ and those who are alive will be caught up together. We will be reunited together with them. And some people may ask, you know what? A lot of people that I love and that I know and I hold dear aren't in Christ. And so these promises aren't theirs. And how could I possibly be happy in eternity if they're not there? And that is incredibly heartbreaking, isn't it? But I believe that the God who can raise the dead can wipe away our tears. And I believe that the God who can raise the dead can give us joy in spite of everything else. Amen? The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we believe that the dead in Christ will not only rise, but that we will be caught up together with them. And we will look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And people that are kind of experts in the way this language is put together say that it's, it's like a triumphal entry kind of a situation. Do you remember the triumphal entry? When the king was coming into Jerusalem and the people went out to meet him and they laid the palm branches at his feet and they said, Hosanna in the highest, the king is here. Isn't that a marvelous scene? That the dead in Christ 
And those who are alive, all of God's people met up to meet the king in the air, to welcome him and to say, Hosanna in the highest, the king has come. And then he says, and so we will always be with the Lord. And that, that's the best part about it all, isn't it? That we will be with the one who gave his life for us. And then he says in the next verse, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. That word encourage means, or is the Greek word parakaleo. It means to call beside, to bring somebody beside you. And you know, on that day when my friend was burying his son, I had my arm around him and we, we cried, but we laughed. We smiled in spite of our grief. We went and ate a meal and we, we went on. Why? Because we weren't sad? No, we were sad. We were grieving. But we grieved with hope because I know and he knows that we will see Caleb again. That we will be caught up together with him in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. I know that the dead in Christ will be raised. Why? Because Jesus has been raised. That is our knowledge. That is our hope. That is our confident expectation. And it isn't that we don't grieve. We grieve. I think, I think Christians grieve better than anybody else in the world because we don't sugarcoat death. We don't say death isn't really such a big deal. It's not really so bad. No, we say death is an enemy, but it's an enemy over which Jesus has been victorious. And so we grieve, but we grieve with a confident expectation of a resurrection reunion. We grieve with a confident, expectation of a resurrection reunion. And I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know where you are in your faith. But if you're not in Christ, if you're not putting your faith in Jesus and walking with Him, then you have no hope. But whoever you are, and wherever you've been, and whatever you've done, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you're buried with him in baptism, you can be raised up a new kind of human being, a human being with hope. Not with just with stories or legends or myths or superstitions, but with confident expectation for the future based on what's already occurred. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, we want to encourage you to do that this morning. Or maybe some of y'all just need to come back home. We need to encourage one another with these words. After services, there's a room in the back. The elders would love to pray with you if you would like that. Or now, as we stand and sing this song, come forward. Let us help you.